0: As journalist and author A.J. Jacobs grew older and more mature, he began to notice something that troubled him in his life. With any given story that he wrote, he could receive 100 compliments and one complaint, and his brain would automatically focus in on the complaint. Does that sound familiar to anyone? He was noticing it in other aspects of his life as well. He realized that his mind would naturally gravitate toward the most negative of opinions, even if positivity was otherwise surrounding him. But one single solitary complaint or insult or challenge would test him. It would eat away at his soul. And so A.J. Jacobs did what any trained journalist might do in such a situation. He researched, he studied, he investigated, and he soon came to discover that what psychologists call a negative bias is a natural human tendency. Our brains have been wired throughout time, Physiologically focusing on the negative surrounding us. This might have been helpful for survival at one time or another, but in the modern world in which we live, it often leads to stress, to anxiety, to depression. As he continued to research, he also discovered several recent studies that indicate that showing gratitude can counteract the brain's negative bias, particularly when the act of gratitude becomes a habit and not just a one-time thing. And so with that, A.J. Jacobs took action, instituting a brand new creative opportunity and a family tradition at the dinner table each night, where his family could give thanks for their meal. Now, I said it was creative, but some of you are probably thinking, well, that sounds a little bit like a dinner prayer or saying grace. Well, the Jacob's family identifies as agnostic, so for them, their thanksgivings seemed a little bit more pragmatic. I'd like to thank the farmer who grew the tomatoes, they would say aloud, and I'd like to thank the cashier who rang those tomatoes up for me this morning. This newfound tradition was off to a fantastic start. He was feeling pretty proud of the idea, actually. It turns out that reorienting his brain toward gratitude and toward thanksgiving was going to be easy, and it was going to make him feel so much better. That is, until one night at the dinner table, when his 10-year-old son helpfully added, You know, Dad, those people you're thanking are not actually here. If you really cared about them, you would go and thank them yourself. Hmm. I suspect that there are some parents in the room right now who would have firmly told their child to quit while they are ahead and kindly see themselves out of that conversation, never to discuss it again. But as an author who is known for going all in for the sake of his work, A.J. Jacobs accepted his son's challenge. As an experiment, why couldn't he go and thank people in person? But just to keep it simple, because let's face it, he wouldn't have all day for this, he chose to limit his focus to one thing, his beloved morning cup of coffee. And as a coffee lover myself, that is where I really began to tune into this story. So one day, A.J. Jacobs thanked the barista at his favorite coffee shop down the street. He looked her in the eye, and he thanked her. And she then thanked him for thanking her. And there was a risk of it becoming an infinite thank you loop over and over again. But as he stood there waiting for his coffee to be ready, he realized that the coffee beans have to be roasted by somebody. But first, before that, they have to be grown by somebody. And then they're chosen by a supplier who eventually down the way hires a truck driver to transport them. And the truck driver is relying on roads which are made from asphalt, and roads require government entities to create them and pay for them and maintain them. And as he dug deeper and deeper, he realized that there were biologists and graphic designers and architects and inventors and goat herders. And the next thing you know, A.J. Jacobs found himself on a transformational journey of thanking one thousand people for one cup of coffee. I'm pretty sure that's the last time he's going to take the advice of his 10-year-old. But it was a transformational journey for him because it gave him a greater awareness of the many, many people and passions and interests and the hard work behind the scenes that contribute to the goodness the goodness of everyday life, the goodness of a cup of coffee. And the more he thanked people, the more that he was expressing gratitude, the more he realized that his mood was beginning to change too. And in fact, you know that proverbial 100 compliments and one complaint that started this whole mess, he began to wonder if one of those people who complains a lot We just choose to focus on the positive instead, if it might make them more joyful as well. Gratitude had become a way of life for him. It wasn't as easy as he intended it to be, but it made him feel so good. The practice and the the spiritual discipline of gratitude it's about more than remembering to say thank you, those polite and gentle manners that we first learn as toddlers, but it does include saying thank you. Showing gratitude, as we are reminded in this morning's text from Luke's gospel, is all about lived experience. It's a refocusing of one's awareness, a shifting of one's perspective. As Jesus walked along the way between Samaria and Galilee with his sight set toward the city of Jerusalem. He encountered ten men, each suffering from leprosy. Their suffering was certainly physical, of course. It was visual. He could see it. It was not the first time that he would come across the scene. It certainly would not be the last time. But it turns out it was often also emotional, as you might imagine. Their suffering... Was emotional. Biblical scholars have traditionally seen that leprosy was seen in those days as a punishment for sin. And even though some more recent research suggests that that might not always have been the predominant view of those times, that would only make matters worse, wouldn't it? Because that would mean that leprosy was an unexplainable act of God. Either way, though, Those called lepers in Scripture were socially rejected, not only for the contagious disease, but also for what that disease implied about the lives that they led. Perhaps, as one scholar notes, lepers were avoided as much for their pain and the suffering and the loneliness on their face as they were for the disease itself. Jesus, as we know, He heard their cries for mercy. He saw how deeply they suffered, so he instructed them to go and report to the priests. Notice the lepers didn't question Jesus here. They simply got up, and they started going to the priests. They knew that the priests were the only ones who could certify that they had truly been healed, so they did exactly what Jesus was asking of them. What Jesus was asking of them made sense. It was what they were supposed to do, so they did it. Can you imagine how excited they must have felt to know that they were about to get their lives back? that they were about to get their families back, that they were about to be seen again. But one of the ten turned around and ran back to Jesus and fell down at his feet and thanked him. And we discover that although all ten were healed physically that day, it was the one who lived a life of gratitude who was made whole that day. Gratitude, after all, is foundational for our lives as Christians, and particularly as Christians of the Reformed theological tradition. Our faith is rooted in gratitude, that God is the giver of all good gifts, including and especially the great gift of grace in and through Jesus Christ. And we are called then to respond to that grace with lives of gratitude for all that we have been given. We are called to respond with a life of active faith. We are called to live lives that set aside a complaint and to show grace toward others. And in all we do, to joyfully offer our thanks and our praise to God. Because to have faith is to live it. And to live it is to give thanks. I learned this lesson in a new way one summer during my seminary education, serving as a chaplain intern at a major trauma hospital in Richmond, Virginia. The good news was that I shared this experience with three of my closest seminary friends and colleagues, and we even carpooled to and from the hospital every day. The bad news was that Serving as a chaplain at a major trauma hospital could be overwhelming. It could be all-consuming. It could be traumatic. Working five days a week in this environment, not to mention the weekend and the overnight shifts, it was undoubtedly taking its toll on us. We saw things that we would not soon forget. We sat at the bedside of those who were facing very difficult decisions. We cared for loved ones and their unimaginable and sudden grief. I remember how excited I was that summer to get to the 4th of July because the spiritual services director showed mercy and gave the interns a day off and we could finally breathe again. Until July 5th rolled around, that is, and we were back in the saddle once more. Something began to change for us, though, midway through the summer. I can't remember now who initiated this change in our carpool, but for sake of this conversation, I just assume it was me because it will make me look really smart. <laughs> but someone suggested in the car that our ride home be more structured, Now, once we got into the car, regular conversation would only be allowed after each of us had shared a moment from our day for which we were grateful. Suddenly, our conversations were less about the nurse that chewed us out for getting in his way and more about the kindness of the custodian on the ninth floor. They were less about the sadness of the trauma that filled the emergency room that night, and more about the resilience and the commitment shown by those in such dire need. At the very least, the structured conversation that we committed to in the car that focused on the positive moments of our day encouraged us to take a little breath as we made our way home to our families. That was a sacred breath. But before long, we began to realize that we were starting to go through our entire days with our eyes open and seeking with intentionality all the goodness and the grace and the joy which surrounded us and, frankly, which had been around us all along. We just didn't have the eyes to see it. The daily practice of gratitude. And by that, I mean gratitude as both a noun and a verb. It was becoming a way of life for us that summer. And it made us feel good. What made the 10th leper turn around to find Jesus? We can't really know for certain because the the passage doesn't tell us explicitly. Perhaps showing gratitude had become something of a spiritual discipline for him through the years, a practice in which he could find some life amidst the loneliness of leprosy. But one way or another, when he saw that he had been healed while traveling to the priest, the Samaritan received and recognized that he had just received an incredible gift a gift for which nothing could prevent him from turning around to offer his thanks and his praise. Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well. Which is to say, not only that faith and gratitude are so closely linked together, but also that showing gratitude is a life-giving discipline. And so we, as people of faith, we are called together to practice the practice of gratitude. As we gather here in this place for worship, may we do so in gratitude for all that God has first given to us. As we share out of our abundance, to support the important work of Mission Peniel and the Guardian Ad Litem program, not to mention our We Care food ministry and Habitat and all of our other mission partners, may we do so in gratitude for all that God has first given to us. As we seek to nurture the faith of every age through Sunday school, through Bible study, through fellowship and joy and play, may we do so in gratitude for all that God has first given to us. Because showing gratitude is a lived experience, because faith and gratitude are so closely linked in the teachings of Jesus, it is never too early or too late to begin to nurture a grateful heart. That's a big reason for the children's storybook reviews I've been highlighting in the weekly midweek emails this month. It's the hope that all of us of every age might learn from a fresh perspective something about refining our vision and tuning our hearts away from the negative, away from the complaint, away from the concern, focusing instead on the goodness and the grace and the joy that surrounds us. And indeed, which has been surrounding us all along. Lived experience of leading with gratitude. That's an experience that takes a whole lot of practice. And it's something that takes a whole lot of time. I can't help but think that perhaps the week of Thanksgiving is a really good time to start. And so, let us live our lives in such a way that each and every word we say, each and every breath we take, could be in of themselves a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord our God. Because to have faith is to live it, and to live it is to give thanks. Amen and amen.